Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. So uh, I'm going to appeal to you before I get into my sermon one other thing, though we just had an announcement. Um, Here's what we need. Uh, We need people to host or lead small groups. And here's an easy one that you can do that doesn't take a whole lot of training, doesn't take a whole lot of anything other than your ability to ask questions. Um, We could use a few people to host or lead a sermon follow-up group. And all that means is that you'll get my notes in a couple of questions Um, And then you'll get together and have coffee and snacks with a few people from the church and just talk about the sermon. That's it. Um, And it can go from there. The the questions are are, are more like a a starting point to the conversation. But the idea is we usually don't need more inspiration. Um, We need more application. Many of us listen to more than just me and what I teach. And you listen to stuff all the times. And our issue isn't not what we are hearing or what we're listening to our issue is what we're doing with what we hear and so that's one of the things that we do with sermon follow-up so uh if if that sparks in you greg bradshaw over here black shirt um patagonia gray vest um he would love to talk to you and if you get out of here and you're just like well i'm not sure i'm not ready to talk to him his email is greg at reachcommunitychurch.com you can send him an email this afternoon tomorrow whatever but we would love to have a few more groups before we launch um our community group cycles And I say sermon follow-up because it's one that if someone, there's going to be people that are going to come to our church in the next month or two that some of the groups you can't just pop into. But a sermon follow-up, as long as there's room inside the room that they're meeting in, all you have to do is show up for a Sunday morning service and you have everything you need to be a part of that small group for that week. So um, that's that's the pressure I'm going to put on you. So step up. You know, with two or three people, two or three couples, a hosting couple, and maybe the you know extrovert person to help make that happen. Let's do this. If, if a pipe isn't going to get us, neither is that. So, all right. So we're in week two uh, of the series that we're doing on Joshua, and this idea of being faithfully consistent or faithful consistently. Um, this idea that really the, the life of a Christian isn't flashy or fancy, it is just consistent. It's consistently doing the things that we need to do, which the primary of that is connecting to a father that gives us a view for who he is to us. And so this morning, I want to talk about um, this abbreviation. Do you know what POV stands for? What does it stand for? Point of view. That's right. Uh, It stands for point of view, and point of view is a particular attitude or way of considering a matter. The way you interpret what you see matters, and we know this because many of us are uh, bombarded by things that ruin our day because of a perspective that we have of it. Not that it's true, but of whatever we interpret, these things happening mean whatever. See, two different people can see the same thing and have two completely different perspectives. If you're married, you completely understand that. You and your spouse can witness something, be present, 
hear the exact same thing. And one is like, okay, cool. Another one's like, oh my God, what's happening? It is, that's just what happened. A, a point of view, it matters. You can both witness the same thing and have two different responses. As we continue, continue this series on Joshua, looking through the life and see how faithfully consistent he is with all that God does, even when we don't hear anything about him. He had a view of God that shaped what he saw and what he experienced through the lens of who God was, not who he was or not what he could do. He trusted the Father first and then filtered everything he saw and experienced through that trust. Today, we'll learn that point of view matters. Let's pray. Oh, Father, some of us right now know that we have a bad point of view. That we see the world through a lens um, that we are only interpreting through our capacity and our power and our willingness to go through instead of seeing it through the lens of a father who loves his children and will do everything in his power to bring them through, to help them get victory, to help them walk through these things. And so, Lord, as we look at the journey of 12 spies into the promised land today, Lord, would you let us see how big this idea of having the right point of view is. So bless the reading of your word. Um, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have probably more text than I probably need to have in a 35 to 40 minute message. We're going to be in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, and, and I'm going to read probably 60% of it. Some of it I'm going to try to kind of um, give you a perspective of what's going on, just because if not, you know, I would be eight pages in and I would be reading the whole time. And so this picks up. So last week we talked about um, how Joshua was there. He was for the presence of God more than anyone else. He was with Moses on the mountain. He was with Moses at um, the tent of meeting. He hung out later. He wanted the presence of God. He saw the power of being connected to the one, the source. We also saw that he was a man that was willing to go and fight and receive victory, even though it wasn't his own power or authority that got him there. And so today we're going to pick this up as um, this is within two years, probably 12 to 18 months. They have left Egypt. They have gone through this journey to get to the place where they can see the promised land. And... Um, God's going to say, hey, send 12 spies, send 12 people to go look. And they, they get people, uh, leaders from each of the 12 tribes and to send them in there and get a, a point of view of what's going on. And so we're going to pick this up in Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to spy out the land of Cana, which I am giving to the people of Israel. So this is the Lord telling Moses, hey, have them go look at the land. But this is the land that I've already promised you. This is the land that will be yours. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man of, of one of the chief of them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Param 
According to the command of the Lord, all of them, the men who were heads of the people of Israel. Joshua, one of those, shocking, not shocking, but we're talking about Joshua, so he's one of the twelve that are there. And it lists each of them per tribe, and he's probably a prince. Like, I think his grandfather was the leader of his tribe. So Joshua gets picked to go there. And if you're reading it, like if you were to read it, and I'm not going to go through all the names because you would see how horrible, I mean, you see it sometimes already, how uh, great I pronounce things. But I like <laughs> that. Maybe I left it off for that reason. Maybe I needed to, a little less. But from verse 6 to verse 16, or sorry, from verse 8 to verse 16, uh, Joshua gets a name change, if you read it. So in verse 8, he is Hosua, with an H at the beginning of it. And in verse 16, it literally says, yeah, mispronounced that. Um, it literally says that his, Joshua, his name was changed by Moses. And so I did a little digging, like why would you change names? And this is all throughout, all throughout the text, people get name changed all the time. Abraham got a name change. He was Abram. Um, Paul got a name change. He was Saul. There was all kinds. Peter, Cephas, name change. And they all have purpose. Well, his original name means old save to Joshua, which Joshua um, in the, our Greek literally uh, is Jesus. So like Jesus' name is most likely Joshua. But he, it went from all save, like we need salvation, to Yahweh is a salvation or is the salvation, which cool little tidbit for you there. Uh, we're going to pick it back up in verse 17. It says, Moses sent them to spy out the land in Cana and said to them, go up into the Negeb and go into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell there in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, or whether their land that they dwell in is as good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in, in the camps, are our camps or strongholds, and whether the lands are rich or poor, and whether the tree, there's trees in it or not, be of good courage, bring some of the fruit from the land. Now the time was the season for the first ripe grapes. Uh, in there, they literally, there's one thing of grapes that they get that two men have to carry. This is what they go in and see. See, all, even though he's saying, hey, is it, are, they, are they great or big? He's not saying, hey, go see if we can take them. He's just saying, go and look and report whether they are this or that. He isn't saying like, hey, man, if they're too big or if the cities are too fortified, we'll go somewhere else. He's saying, go and look. He said, go see what God has promised us and report back. So 40 days in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and said to all the congregation. So it wasn't just Moses and Aaron and the leaders. This was to the whole congregation. So they're all there. The people have waited 40 days. And 40 days is... Uh, a pretty common occurrence all throughout here. 40 days, 40 days. This is going to be a bad 40 days. So they go and they're going to, to the whole congregation, tell what happened or what they saw. Um, to the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Param at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. 
And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they're coming back because God had promised them, I'm going to give you this land. This land is going to flow with milk and honey. And, and, and here's what you need to understand. When God promised something to us, we can be, he can be trusted with that promise. This is the fulfillment of that promise because he said it is, and they come back showing the fruit, not just saying, hey, you know, it's a great land, we should move there, but he's showing them the fruit of it. See, if we can trust God's promise that the land is good, why wouldn't they trust that it would also be theirs, regardless of who was there? God had promised them victory. The land he commanded them to go into and take was already theirs. They simply had to trust and obey, but this they did not do. God will never lead us where his grace cannot provide for us, and his power cannot protect us. Indeed, the Israelites had seen the power and hand of the powerful hand of God at work during the plagues and the miracles of Exodus. See, they had already seen the power. It wasn't like they had never seen the strong hand of the Lord. They're like, we're not sure what he can do. They knew exactly what he could do. Yet like many people, they walked by sight and not by faith. And their unbelief displeased God. Without faith, it is impossible to believe God or to please God. That's Hebrews 11.6. Their failure to believe in God would keep them from entering the promised land. This truth has never changed. How many things are you missing out on right now because of your lack of faith in God? How many, th- how many places that God has called you to are you afraid to go, whatever that is? Because you're like, I don't, it's just me. How can I do this? Instead of going, hey, God has called, he will provide. We dealt with that a lot. I still deal with that. Deal with insecurities all the time. Like we moved to a new city with eight families to start a church that still exists, even through covid for almost 11, we're going into 12 years. I tell you what, nothing, nothing will stop us other than our lack of faith. Nothing. There's no financial burden. There's no flood that happens. There's nothing that's going to keep this church from what God has from other than our lack of faith. Verse 28. So, good news. It is... It is the land that has been promised. It is rich with fruit. It flows with milk and honey. Verse 28. However, however, the people who dwell in this land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. I mean, think of this like in this little scared little. (laughs) We're going to get our butts beat. Um, And besides, we saw, this this is taken up to the next level. We saw descendants of Anak. And and the, uh, and the oh my gosh, Amalekites, good gracious, dwell in the land of Nagab. The Hittites. Now, see, once I start mispronouncing a word, it's a disease that gets into me, and you're just you're going to see it over and over again. I want you to know that I practice these words before I come here because I know these. I know this happens. So, judge me if you won't. That's all right. And the Jebusites and the, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. 
And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. See, these, these, are, these people, they were giants. So literally, so if you remember reading before the flood, there were these, uh, and I don't, I mean, Nephilim is a dark, deep hole that you can go down into and read all this stuff about. But basically, angels potentially um, came down, had children, and they were huge people. And I don't know if you get, <laughs> there's, there's even talk if you get pulled into social media of giants still, okay? I mean, maybe, but they went in there, and it wasn't like normal people. Most likely, these were the descendants of Goliath that David fights later. But can you imagine, like, they go and they see people because they've been in Egypt, they've not seen any of these things, and not only do they have fortified cities, but they have giants. Whew. It is awesome, but the people are too strong. See, remember the victory that we talked about last week when um, <clears throat> Joshua picked men and went out to fight the people, and they won as long as Moses' hands were in the air because God wants Joshua to know that the victory is not his. Some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. The victory is never ours. Every victory that you claim for yourself, you're taking credit for something that God is doing. See, your point of view changes everything. Where is your point of view messing with your victory? Where are you expecting... Here's another thing. Where are you expecting expecting, expecting the promises of God, the victory... To just be laid in your lap. Because that's not how it works. Like they kind of thought, well, God has provided this. And we're going to talk about it in the last week. Uh, Joshua gets promised the land as they cross the river. And he says, there's literally, and we'll, we'll go into this, these promises. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. But there's literally 31 kingdoms, kings, that they have to destroy to occupy this. If you think that, you know, faith is just believing that God is going to give you the victory with you doing nothing. You're in the wrong place. See, the victory is theirs, but it isn't just a victory that gets laid in their lap and they just don't have to do anything. It's a victory that they have to step into every day believing. And you'll see this as they get into the land, every new people. And we'll see them mess this up in their second battle. See, learning to be faithfully consistent doesn't make it easier. It just keeps you on the right path. Part of this idea, which we're going to talk about towards the end, about this 21 days of prayer and fasting and and learning to be faithfully consistent with the things that you know are beneficial to you, it doesn't mean it's not a magic thing. It's not a sprinkle the fairy dust, and as long as I read my Bible every day, as long as I say a few prayers every day, as long as I put some money in that box and I serve, then God's going to just make everything easy. Like read. Some of the best things that you can do, in my opinion, is read the, the stories, the autobiographies of people that served the Lord faithfully for years and decades. Mueller, I think his name was, um, I think he um, cared for like 10,000 orphans. He started like 117 schools. Um, and there was 160 of something else. And all of that, the cool, his claim to fame is he never asked 
for money from anybody. He prayed. And you think, well, man. And it was the amazing stories of hearing, like literally he got up one day to pray for breakfast because there was no food for the orphans that he was caring for. And he's like, God, thank you for providing. He didn't have anything to give them. And as he finishes prayers, the door uh, gets pounded on, and the baker down the street said, you know, like, I got up at 2 o'clock, and I just had to make y'all bread, and here's bread. And the milk cart broke down in front of their uh, orphanage, and he was like, hey, it's going to go bad. Do you need it? <laughs> and and we, we feel, the danger is, we feel that every time we're faithfully consistent, that's what happens, which sometimes it does. But you also have to realize that there was hundreds of things that didn't happen Hundreds of prayers that he prayed that weren't instantaneous. Choosing to be faithfully consistent is choosing to do the thing that you know that you should do in spite of what might happen today, in spite of your point of view in that moment. So 10 of the 12 give this negative view. And then Caleb, in verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. This is hundreds of thousands, up to a million people. I think he got belligerent. I mean, you see it a little bit in what he's getting ready to say, but like, how do you quiet hundreds of thousands of people? He doesn't have like a microphone that he can pound on and listen to me. I'm sure he, I mean, he's going to tear his clothes in just a second. He, he's mad. Verse 30, it says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we will, <clears throat> for we are able to overcome it. Caleb sees it. He's not looking at his people. They weren't trained warriors. They have been slaves for hundreds of years. Most of them didn't even have good weapons. They weren't anything special, but Caleb understood, just like Joshua, that it had nothing to do with them. God had spoken it and promised it, and they will faithfully walk into it. See, the faithfulness of Joshua and Caleb teaches us that we are to stand for God even when others will not. When we do, and hear this, when we do, God may, very important word right there, choose to bless us in ways that will extend for generations to come. The blessing of Joshua and Caleb we are experiencing right now. Because what the people are getting ready to ask for is they want new leadership and they want to go back to slavery. And if that happened, there would be no story of Christ. They would have gone back into slavery and probably dissolved into nothing. But they didn't do that. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel, this bad report to the land that they had spied out saying, the people, the land, though which we had gone out to spy, gone to spy it, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in this area are of great, great height. Devours. I mean, this is, hey guys, you're going to be destroyed, is what he's saying. Verse 33. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, 
who came from the Nephilim. Those are the giants. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. So how are we going to fight people that look at us like grasshoppers and have just told that they, the land devours its inhabitants? This point of view cost all of those ten other spies, plus everyone that was over 20, their lives. And 40 years. God gave them exactly what they wanted. They want to go back to slavery. And so God, which means they don't want the promised land, so God gave those that didn't have the faith, everyone over 20, a death sentence in the desert. For 40 years, they all died. Every person other than Caleb and Joshua died during that 40 years. See, God is bigger than the giants that we will face. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Whatever you're up against, the point of view needs to come from that perspective. He that's in me, not the heart that I have, not the power that I have behind the the muscles that I have in my body, none of that. He, the Holy Spirit, the living God that lives in us, is greater than he that is in the world. Numbers 14, starting at verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become as prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's funny how willing we are to return to slavery instead of trusting God with the tough and uncomfortable things ahead. Many of us in this room are slaves to sin, to things in our life, because we're unwilling to trust God to get out of these things. Many of us in this room are, are trying to fight the good fight, but many of us are also trying to fight the good fight within us by ourselves, not under the power of God. Many of us, I mean, let's just be completely honest. You don't know how many, probably the first five or six years of this church, I, I relished, <laughs> send me back to this big church that I came from with this secure job that I had that I was, I thought, pretty good at. (laughs) Other people thought I was pretty good at. And for the first four or five years at this church, I didn't feel really good at anything. Still is. If nothing else, (laughs) I'm, I'm consistent. Because I thought it would be more comfortable there. It would more, it'd be more easy there. I wouldn't have the challenges that I have here, which is a lie. And 
I've told many of you this story, like during COVID, I was out mowing grass. One of the things that God loves to do when I'm sweating is, because he finally gets my attention at times, he loves to just speak to my heart. And I was whining about, it was during COVID, I'd videoing myself on my stupid cell phone and putting it out there. I don't know who's watching. I don't know nothing. I'd never not preach to a room where I'm looking at people's faces. And half the time I was up against this wall. I had a rule that if I made it to five minutes, I don't care how bad it was, I'm continuing on. If I messed up in the first few minutes, I'd start over. But if I made it past five, you're going to get it, however horrible it is. And I just felt like, man, I, I wasn't meeting with people. All of my little offices, the coffee shops were closed. I didn't have any, hardly any interaction with people. And I was just done. I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I was whining to God, sweating. It was summer. It was hot. And God just spoke to my heart. He was like, you can quit. But nothing else is going to make you happy. And you'll be back. <laughs> I hate it when he's snotty. And right. And he's right. And those past those moments of like what's going to happen, you just, you just have to learn to walk in this trust with God. And, and let me just tell you, I don't mean blindly trusting that everything's going to be all right. What I mean is you learning to get to know God, that you know his heart, and so that you view things that you interact with through the lens of him and not you. Verse 5, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Josepheth, um, who were among them, who had spied out the land. They tore their clothes because they're mad because they saw the victory that was theirs. And they said to all the congregation and the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is extremely good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us in the land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. Mm. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation <laughs> Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and all to all the people of Israel. They're ready to give up because of someone's point of view. And let me let me just tell you, <clears throat> there's some people. Be careful. Be, anytime I make statements, I feel like people are going to just take them, make it a law, and then they're going to root out every person that they don't like in their life. There's some people in your life that you need to remove from your ear. Some of these, like these 12, 10, 10 spies that are whispering this thing and ruined it for everyone. We need to be very careful who we're listening to. And I don't, some of you are like, yeah, I know exactly who that is. The spouse, I don't know where you're going, but you're getting out of my house. That's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we got to be very cautious of what, what we allow to root in us through other people. 
See, Moses, and you see this over and over again, Moses is begging God to not destroy. God wants to destroy them over and over again. And he begs God, and he, he tells God, he says, you promised, you told, and all of Egypt will know that you aren't who you said you are because your people are all gone. You promised. I feel like if I was Moses, I'd be like, take him out, Lord. Bring me a new crop. He didn't do that. See, justice comes. The people got what they wanted. They didn't want the promised land, and they didn't get it. And everybody over 20 would die without ever entering the thing that God promised them. See, it's including Moses. Including Moses. He gets frustrated. And he, he, God said to speak to this rock, and he got frustrated, and he hit this rock, and water came out of it. And, and he makes this statement like, I, what do you want from me? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And Moses gets to look from the mountain into the thing that God promised him. Now, he spent the next 40 years shepherding and leading the people over and over again into the desert. Leading them, keeping them. All for that moment where they were going to cross over. Just a thing to think, because next week when we pick this back up, we're going to pick up um, uh, Joshua's first entrance into leadership, where they transition from Moses to Joshua and his first miracle, which was crossing the Jordan as on flood stages, where he sends all the people through. But I need you to realize that from, and that we're going to pick up was going to be in the first of Joshua. <clears throat> that was 40 years later. You want to talk about being faithfully consistent or consistent faithfully. Joshua and Caleb were most likely in their 20s, between 20 and 30. So when God opens the door for them to go into the promised land, they're now 60 to 70 years old. They faithfully waited 40 years. Could you imagine? And I, I hate waiting. I mean, go to Disney World. Get in line for something that's going to be like 25 seconds. I'm, for all you that love it, I'm sorry. I'm not a fan. I'm, not a, I'm just talking about the line. Nothing else. Just the line. But Joshua waited 40 years. Could you imagine... I mean, could you imagine what he would have to do in his soul? And this is what, why I said last week was so important. Because he trusted God even with 40 years. But that trust didn't come from blindness. That trust come from a relationship that he had with the living God. And I guarantee you, he didn't make it through those 40 years without the continued connection to the presence of God. Because just imagine yourself for a minute. You know you did the right thing. You've been in these situations where you did the right thing, and you're like, <laughs> but everybody else did something wrong, and you're getting punished for them. I mean, could you imagine how easy it would be to wake up every morning and be like, I hate these people. It's all your fault that we're still here. And how bitter and angry and frustrated they would be. Can you imagine what kind of leader he would be after 40 years of letting his heart sour and be bitter and angry? But he wasn't. He was just like Joseph after 17 years 
when his brothers finally realize who he is, and he says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is, this is what Joshua gets. When you get faithfully consistent with the living God, you see him in and through all the things that are going on. So where does your point of view need to change? Maybe your point of view needs to change in your marriage. And you need to stop looking at that other person to give you the things that you think that you need or deserve. A great book, if you've not read it, it's called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. If you um, want to strengthen your marriage, I think think it is probably my favorite book on marriage. Amazing. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the byline and you're going to be like, I'm not reading it. (laughs) The byline of it is, uh, what if God, talking about marriage, what if God... Um, didn't give marriage to us to make us happy, but gave marriage to us to make us whole. And that's what we need to look at that changes our point of view, that, that my wife is not in my life, and this is where my struggle is. It's just the James where it says, you know, where do these fights and quarrels come from? Because we want and we don't get. So some of that point of view is within your marriage. You're, you're looking to your spouse to give you something that, He or she does not have the capacity to give you. You're looking at the wrong place. Maybe it's work. Maybe your point of view of work is like God has, you know, when Adam got cursed. And he said, man, thorns and thistles. And you're thinking that work is going to give you that thing that's finally going to make you feel accomplished and good about yourself. You're looking to the wrong place. I believe Every single person in this room who calls themselves a child of God has a mission that is not going to be fulfilled in a full-time job. Hear me. And this doesn't mean all of you need to quit your jobs and go to seminary and start a church. What this means is you need to stop looking at your job to give you what it cannot, and you need to start going, God, what have you called me here to do in the place that you've planted me? I mean, we need to stop thinking, oh, we've got to go overseas or we've got to go to this place to do mission work. If you have a job in a, non, in a secular environment, there's your mission field. They, I'm sure, need Jesus just as much as the people across the world. And it's easier to go for one week and, and, and serve your heart out and go, man, I want to serve the Lord it's more difficult to be faithfully consistent every day. Love Jesus enough to love people that aren't easy. I would go as far as to say that I think that God has planted some of those people that are the thorn in your side there on purpose. And what if a perfect work environment isn't what you need to be more holy, to be more pure? What if that imperfect work environment God has given you so that he could sanctify you? Amen. What if, where else is your point of, maybe your point of view needs to change with your kids. Maybe you're looking to them, and this is, this is harder for me. So if your kids are real little, you have all these dreams and aspirations of what they will be and where they're going to turn out and all these things, and you're like, all your hope is in them. But as they get older, and like I've got one that's getting ready to graduate from college and go work somewhere full time and stop taking money from me. Um, I got another one that's 20 years old that he thinks he's, you know, grown and, you know, all the decisions he's, is great. And, and, 
And there's a piece of me that still wants to try to control things that I cannot control. My point of view, my kids don't define me. Like, and it's hard because, like, I feel like if my kids do something stupid, then people are going to look at me and be like, oh, Pastor Heath. Look, you have kids long enough in your house. It's work. You need to pray for that work. And that's one of the things on my list. I pray every day for my family. And most of it for my children is that they would know God, that they would feel his kingdom presence in their life, and they would be called to something bigger than themselves. Maybe your point of view needs to change on your religion that you follow. And I don't say this, and I'm not trying to put tension in people's life. But a lot of people that show up to church on Sunday morning don't know Jesus. They've connected to what they think is a security for heaven. But they've not fallen in love with the Savior, which is what heaven is. And one of the reasons why I will continue to preach, like every single person that walks in this room may need to go to the next level of their faith is because no one has arrived. And maybe your point of view is like, I'm going to give these three things to God. Because this exchange is going to get me what I want. And if you're looking at God through the lens that you're going to do things for Him so that He does things for you, you're wrong. We need to lovingly serve the living God because He's worthy to be served and to be loved. And if He gives us anything outside of just eternity with Him, it's a blessing. Every single person in this room has lived years and I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, our life here in America is easy. I mean, if you have a house right now that you go back to and has heat on and there's food in the pantry and you have a car to get back and forth there and you have a little bit of money in the bank, you, you are you're leaps and bounds from other people. We need to look at our Christianity, not as something that we, not as an equation, A, B, C equals I get what I want. God is the creator of this universe. And his purpose is being fulfilled right now. And he will return. And when he shows up, my, my goal in ministry and my goal in my own life, when he shows up, I want more people to be further along the way of going, God, I've been looking forward to this moment. See, there's a lot of people that he's going to show up and you're like, oh man, I've really done nothing. And, and you don't earn heaven by doing stuff. Don't hear me wrong. But God has called every single person in this room to equip and to call and to do things for his kingdom. And I want, with all I can, to help convince you to get on that journey. Hebrews 3, verse 7 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Do not harden your hearts. 
So we started last Sunday, 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, that's okay. You have 14 days that you can join with the rest of the congregation. And all that is, is for the next 14 days, we're choosing to say no to something so that we can say yes to others. One of my encouragement would be like less TV or no TV. One of my encouragements would be <clears throat> get rid of the social media on your phone. And I'm telling you, if, if you're like pretty hooked on it, just record how many times you pick up your phone to look at it, and it's not there. Like it's just the security. And so part of that is putting things aside so that you can add things to it. And one of the things that you can add to that is being in the Word. Uh, I think we have three left. I have 40 that are coming in this week. So if you don't have one, uh, next Sunday I have two cases of one-year Bible um, and not that you have to do that if you go to this church, but one of the things that we do is encourage people to read the one-year Bible, and that basically, you'll get a, it's a physical book. You can open to today's date, the 14th of January, and it'll give you some Old Testament, some New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, and if you read every day in a year, you'll read the entire Bible. Amen. <clears throat> um, they're out there, and we would encourage you to be in the Word, because the Word is what changes us. The Word is what gives us a point of view that we can trust. So what do you need to start praying for? So not only do you need to add in some Word, I would make specific things that you pray for. I have specific things that I pray for every day. I have specific things that I'm doing. And so also with fasting, you may say, hey, I'm going to give up one meal a day and just give that to the Lord. It could be like you're going to decide there's a group of us that we fast every Thursday so you could join us for 24 hours. You could choose not to eat that day. So, And I'm telling you what, if you've never fasted before, um, it'll test you. If you've got little children, like prepare yourself. To, but it, as you get hungry, it'll, it'll remind you. It'll speak to your soul that you need more than just what you put in your mouth. So what do you need to start praying for? What are the things that you want to add to that daily routine? So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. <clears throat> and if you've not um, joined us um, so far and you missed the... Maybe, maybe last week you're like, I'm doing it, 21 days, and you failed miserably this week. And you're like... Here's the best thing to do. Just start. The worst things that you can do for yourself is have a failure and allow that failure to keep you from doing something that's good for you the next time. So what I want to do is I want to just pray um, for that point of view inside of you, whatever that is. And the point of view can't be based on you. It has to be based on something greater than you, which is Jesus. Jesus knew that we were unable to save ourselves, restore ourselves, deal with us. And if you want something more, it has to be based on something. That's what Joshua did. He, he hooked himself to the presence of God. And so the, the beauty of that is, if you want more of Jesus, all you got to do is ask. He is a gracious, loving Father. He's not sitting there scowling in the corner of the room, ready to just be angry at you. He's waiting. Have the point of view. 
of the, the prodigal son, of the father who was waiting, looking for his son. And when his son came on the horizon, he didn't stand there waiting. I'm about to give him. I'm about to tell him how I feel. He ran to him. He put on the cloak. He put on the finger. He put on the slippers. Because he loved his son. He was waiting for this moment. And that's the father to you. If you've been far off from him, he, he isn't sitting there wanting to whoop you. He's wanting to say, come on, son or daughter, I want you. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. Uh, you know what we need. You know where our point of view is so skewed that it needs a Holy Spirit intervention. And Lord, we ask of that right now, that you would in us begin to change the way we see, not because our world is changing, but because our point of view, where we're looking at it, the lens that we're looking at it through gets changed to you. Lord, you have things that you want us to walk into that will never be accomplished without you. Lord, we just declare that we trust you, that whatever is going on right now, help us see it through your lens, our marriage, our our relationship with our children, our work environments, and all the other things that we're viewing, even the political landscape. Lord, would you change our point of view that wouldn't be based on fear and anxiety, but it would be based on a good and loving God that is bringing things to His conclusion. We trust you, Lord. And Lord, if there are people in this room that they've, they've played the game and they've missed you, Lord, would you call them? Would you whisper in their ears right now, son or daughter, my desire is that you would know me and give your life to me and trust me with it. And so, Lord, help us trust in the salvation that comes from Jesus' finished work on the cross. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.